Hello, and welcome to Tardigrade Talks. I'm your host, Dr. Jody Samra, and this is a podcast for anyone interested in cultivating greater psychological health, wellness, and resilience. In each episode, I'll share authentic and thought-provoking conversations with inspiring guests, along with evidence-based skills, strategies, and approaches you can use to cope with the stresses of life and enhance your personal and workplace resilience. In this episode, I am so excited to share insights from a conversation with my very inspiring guest, Carla Catherwood. Carla is an entrepreneur, teacher, mentor, and mom. And her motto is to educate, create, and pay it forward. Carla has been dancing for over 25 years and has worked as a professional dancer, choreographer, and producer. And she is also the CEO and founder of Army of Sass, a heels dance training program that has over 30 locations throughout North America. Carla has truly embodied the idea of resilience by turning a traumatic life experience into a lifelong passion. And through that, creating an amazing company that inspires confidence through movement and dance. We'll be talking about the impact of unexpected life experiences and how they can be traumatic and yet the start of something magical. How embodying confidence and femininity can be expressed through dance and what it takes to devote your life to spreading love, confidence, and acceptance to people through movement. Now, Carla, welcome. It is so lovely to have you here today. Thank you, Dr. Jyoti. Thank you so much for having me. Now, Carla, let's go back way to the very beginning of your entrepreneurial journey, which begins in a very unique and unexpected way. Now, in 2003, you and friends were in a Vancouver nightclub and you were caught in the crossfire of a gang shooting. Yeah. Um, it, yeah, that, that happened in 2003. We can't believe it's been, gosh, almost 20 years. So, yeah, I mean, there was a, a whole crew of dancers that went out for the evening. So at that moment, we had a guest instructor in town from L.A. who was, you know, the creme de la creme. And I mean, still is, in my opinion, he had danced for, you know, Missy Elliott, Michael Jackson, Janet Jackson, the Grammys, like you name it. He was in town teaching all the teachers how to, how to be a better dancer and how to continue their training forward. And, uh, you know, he happened to be out with us that evening and we were about to leave uh, the nightclub that we were at, which was um, Loft 6 uh, was the name of it. Uh, and it was called Loft 6 because it was literally a loft in Gastown. Mm-hmm. It was very small. And yeah, just um, unfortunately, two gangs decided to whip out guns and just start shooting at each other. And unfortunately, there were many people that were in the way, essentially. And it was a traumatic moment in my life. And I don't remember a ton of details. Um, Like, I don't remember exactly how many people had passed away. But I believe there were probably, I think it, I want to say it was like three to five people, unfortunately, were um, killed in that incident. And there were a handful of other people that were that were shot and taken to hospital. And one of them being the dance instructor that so happened to be with us from LA. Uh, he was, you know, there was a bullet that had nicked him, that had shot him in the back and it had nicked a nerve. Mm. And at the time he couldn't feel his legs. And I mean, that's just one of the worst things you could ever hear a person say, let alone a dancer, I can't feel my legs. And it's, it's just so absolutely um, heartbreaking, you know? And so the police came in, I think it was some sort of gang task force. And I don't think they were even ready to see what 
to witness what they had witnessed and um, off everyone went and uh, we didn't even know which hospital they took him to because they didn't know who was involved with what. And obviously, you know, uh, my dancer friend was completely innocent and had nothing to do with any gangs. Um, good news is, is that it nicked his nerve and it didn't hit it. So he, he has regained mobility in his uh, legs and he is doing well. And, and Steve, if you're ever listening to this, I love you so much. And, and I always love hearing about um, all the great things that you're doing in your life. And I always wish you well. And, um, and yeah, and fast forward a year after that incident, he was back in LA and he was continuing to recover. And my mentors at the time were, who were really truly his very close friends, they were the ones that really helped bring him up. They, um, they said, Hey, you know, we, Carla, we'd love to do a fundraiser for Steve, but, you know, we're really busy with our production schedule. They had a, you know, a dance convention that they ran, which was a really big deal in a dance company and all sorts of, you know, important things happening in and around them with their lives. And they're like, hey, if somebody else wants to do it, kind of wink, wink, nudge, nudge, like, well, we're, we're happy to help out. And, and And I just thought, well, I know club owners and managers, and I know entertainers and performers and I got the idea from there's this dance uh, showcase called Carnival in LA and so I had seen that and heard of that before but I thought you know what there's more to Vancouver than just dance so I just thought you know let's put together a live entertainment showcase of you know anyone and everyone from the Vancouver community dance MCs DJs singers, you name it. And I just, I really wanted to put something together to raise some money and for Steve and just to fuck, just to have a good time. Part of my language, you know, like, <laughs> you're allowed to swear. That's um, okay. <laughs> I just realized that. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So you put on this fundraiser. So you're, you know, and one of the things we know when we're feeling out of control, mm-hmm. you know, kind of channeling that energy. And I'm hearing that a bit as you're speaking, it was like, my mm-hmm. goodness, what can I do? How can I help? what is within my ability here. And so Mm. a fundraiser is what it becomes for you. A fundraiser is what it became for me. And in that process of the fundraiser, you know, I was a dancer and a choreographer. So of course I was like, oh, you know, I'm going to want to put together a little dance routine. And I saw this snippet of the Pussycat Dolls before they were a singing group, mind you, because God knows I cannot sing. Um, uh, Yeah. So I was like, whatever that is, I want to do that but like no singing, just dancing. And so I put together this little girl group. I think there was like, I I grabbed like me and like 11 of my closest little dance, sassy dance female Mm -hmm. friends. And I put together this routine with all fringe bodysuit sequent good time, which was not normal back. This was almost 20 years ago. And Mm -hmm. let me tell you the dance, like the dance world was almost not ready for it. And, um, so through that process of developing and, and really producing my first professional event, I not only raised, I, you know, it wasn't just me. I mean, there was the whole community came together, Joti, like the whole mm. community. Um, so it, it was such a beautiful evening that I think anyone that was there would know, like if it was at this club back in the day, if anyone from Vancouver, the, that area is listening, Richards on Richards, you know, <laughs> oh, yes. um, Molson was my sponsor. Like everyone got a free drink when they came in and, you know, all this really fun stuff. Like if, if, if the fire department had walked in that night, let me tell you, we would have been shut down. There were oh, no against the walls, but I'm telling you, it was the most amazing and lovely and beautiful evening. And everyone came together for a, a great cause and everyone celebrated. And part of that celebration was really a coming out party of this, this new creation that I had, which stemmed from essentially from the worst moment and day of my life. So not only was I able to help and bring light and, and find financial, um, assistance to one of our own, um, it helped open up doors and in a creative opportunity for myself to not only express myself, but create something. So from there, I created this girl group called the burlesque beauties. You know, we'd be performing in these shows and all my friends would come and they'd be like, Oh my God, Carla, I want to learn how to dance like that. Do you teach a class? And I thought, well, 
uh, you know, I w- I've been teaching dance since I was 13 years old. And I mean, there was no particular dance class like that at the time, anything heels related or, you know, cabaret based. And I thought, okay, well, I'm a teacher, so I'll figure it out. So I literally put together a class for my friends and my mom. <laughs> you know, <I> was like, <laughs> Your mom was, my goodness. Oh, yeah, I- <laughs> my mom was at my first class. Like Very progressive get, back in the day. Let me tell you, where do you think I get my sass from? My mom, <laughs> for sure. And so, so yeah, people would come to the, the classes and I thought, okay, here we go. This is something. And I, and I just really enjoyed it and I kept it going. And then as throughout the years, and again, this was, it started in 2003, 2004. And then, you know, when it came closer to around 2008, 2009, I really felt like I had ever done everything that I really wanted or could do with the performance side of things. You know, I had done everything from film and television to tours, to music videos, all that kind of stuff. And I, I just, I was, you know, getting close to 30 at the time. And I was just like, you know what, I did it. I really wanted to concentrate on building um, production shows of my own that are cabaret based, you know, reaching outside of the Vancouver market. So I started looking at Toronto and then creating, um, you know, workshops and choreography and classes. So from there, I just evolved it and moved out to Toronto in 2010. Now let's go back to that fundraiser because you kind of glossed over just making a little bit of money. Now, if I understand correct, you raised $17,000 in one night. Is that right? Yeah, we did. Just over 17,000 Canadian. Yeah, and that, okay, so 20 years ago, (laughs) we're talking big bucks, even in today's funds, right? Sincerely, we'd say, wow. And so now let's go back to that little entrepreneurial part of you, right? Because we know that networking, the hustle, the collaboration that these pieces, so here you were, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, Kind of pulling together other resources and bringing bringing a pretty nice, hefty amount (laughs) in in one night. So what? tell me a little bit more about that and, and where that came from, I guess. The entrepreneurial, I mean, I just was trying to make as much money for Steve as possible that night. I mean, it, I mean, there were no expenses. There were no, like there, there literally was zero expenses because everyone just donated or provided everything for free. So, I mean, but through that, yeah, like I actually, yeah, I forgot, like I literally created these for the love of it dance, you know, entertainment showcases that I did for years and stuff through that as well. Um, because the, the entertainment community was like, we got to keep doing these. And I thought, okay. So I, I continued doing that. So I, th- I think really just the entrepreneurial side of me is, is, is hungry because I, I'm a lover of solutions. And I believe that entrepreneurs, successful entrepreneurs are people that are looking to fill gaps that are empty. And, Mm. and the resilience, I really, truly believe in anything is found in the willingness to continue to adapt. Lover of solutions. There's, there's so many rich things in what you just said right now, but that I love that, right? The lover of solutions. Um, And what you're really talking about is the passion that drove you, right? Carla is that this isn't just a thing you did just because you're talking about, the drive, right? The purposeful drive, that intentional um, dream, vision, hope that you had to be able to do good, right? That's where it started for first your friend and then people saying, oh, wow, we want to dance like, we want to dance like her. And, and you think, oh my goodness, take this into something that then really grew and started to have a life of itself. It really did. And in all honesty, I didn't really plan to be uh, this level of of an entrepreneur. Um, I did not go to university or college. I really kind of, in all honesty, I've learned some very difficult and challenging lessons throughout the years that I continue to take with me and pass on to other people through mentorship, through teaching. Um, and just even just for myself and, uh, you know, I, I'm a firm believer of, 
you know, looking for the gap of what is, where is the missing pocket, you know, and where does your passion lie in that? And, and what's that gap for you, Carla, the missing pocket that, that you were filling at the time, um, in and around just after which, oh God, there's so many, there's so many different moments. So mm-hmm. uh, which moment are you referring to? I mean, I think there's several moments, right? And I think almost probably the moments aren't matting, but that first step, let's talk about that first step. So when you take, you know, what's a passion and turn it into a fundraiser, turn it into classes, and then you start to grow a company, right? At that point. And so let's talk about at what point, um, for you, did that kind of, I guess, entrepreneurial um, transition point happen, right? That point from when we go from kind of saying, I'm actually really going to take this idea and grow it into something bigger than it is this moment. Oh, wow. I think it was right out the gate, to be honest. when Because when you see something come to life, And it like exactly what you said earlier, it really took on an energy of its own. And I was like, oh, I need to do this. This needs to happen. And it almost like it was this big open door and it was just like yelling at me to walk through. So I just did. (laughs) I don't don't know how else to explain it. So, um, you know, I didn't really plan for it, but it was something that I, I, I saw that it was this this open and inviting door for me to just explore something that could sure could maybe be scary, but also I looked at it more as it being exciting. Now, the heart of this vision for you has always been about inspiring confidence, right? Mm-hmm. Through movement and dance. So not just dance for the sake of dance and learning a routine or a this or a that, the the heart of that passion and meaning for you has been to instill and cultivate confidence. And so tell me more about that and, and how you see dance and movement, such an important part of that. Um, You know, you, you work with women mostly or exclusively perhaps. And, you know, as women, we have so many complicated relationships with our body and our shape and how we're perceived and not. And yeah. So, so tell me more about that. Yes, there was a very pivotal moment for me. And this is when I used to teach at my friend Rachel Wainwright's studio, Exhale, in, in um, oh my God, I almost called it Yorkville. That's so Toronto of me. I Hail live in Toronto Carla. now. Come on. Yale <laughs> town. Jeez, Louise. Sorry, guys. Uh, <laughs> yeah. And so there was this moment, I want to say it was like mm, 2006 seven, maybe 2006. And I was teaching my burlesque beauties dance class. And so I just have this memory of being in this class and this young woman, just no matter, I tried all the tricks, you know, whatever little tricks I had in my back pocket. And she just, I, you know, cheering her on and being like, you got this and you look beautiful and all sorts of things. And just kind of, kind of dead sober face, you know? And I just thought, man, this chick cannot leave my class without feeling good about herself. Mm. And it wasn't even about me. I just was like, I just wanted it. And for real, that, that need and want had nothing to do with me. I just was like, I just wanted her to feel good for herself. And so at the very end of class, she just, like I said, the whole hour, I'm pulling out all the tricks towards the end. I'm just looking at her and, and I just stopped everyone in their track. And I was like, put your, you know, hold a bevel position, which is um, essentially like the showgirl, you know, stance where you're just kind of standing with one, you know, your knee kind of tucked into another knee and your, your ankles kissed to one another and your feet together and one foot pointed kind of thing. Right. And your hands on your waist. Mm -hmm. And I said, you know, you've taken my class, so, you know, and um, so I, I said, you know, out of nowhere, I just looked at her I was like, repeat after me. I had no idea what I was saying. I had no idea what I was doing. And everyone's like, I'm like, I am. And everyone says, I am. I'm like, <laughs> a classy woman. And they're like, a classy woman. And I looked at them and I was like, okay. Like in my, in my own head, I'm like, well, what's next? <laughs> they're thinking, um, oh no, like, our uh, instructor's losing it. <laughs> no, I mean, I didn't let it show because that's, the, you know, the performer in me, he got to kind of, you know, 
you got to pull it together. Uh-huh. Right? But internally I was like, uh, <laughs> so the next, and then I just, I looked at her, I was like, I am. And she said, and everyone said, I am confident woman. And she said, confident woman. And I could, and her shoulders started coming back and her, her head started to lift. I was like, Oh my God, it's happening, you know, <laughs> in my head. Right. And then, and then I said something like, and I am, you know, a, I love myself. I don't, I forget what I said at the very end. It was something about being yourself. And, and then she started laughing and clapping and was like really happy and was like, turned her friend like, yeah, that was awesome. And I was like, Oh my God. Yes. I cracked, I cracked the code finally. And then I didn't really think much of it. And I just, you know, I wished everyone well. And, and then the week after I had, she kept coming back. And then one of my regulars, she said, Carly, you got to do that chant at the end. I love that chant. It's great. And I was like, what? <laughs> Actually, I forgot. It. I was like, I don't even know what you're talking about. And she was like, oh, the chant. So I thought, oh, oh yes, yes. And I was like, well, I had to literally get her to remind me of what it was. And I was like, yeah, okay, sure, let's do it. And then after that week, it just became a regular and ongoing thing. And, and then that eventually became the motto of Nouveau Burlesque. So, you know, Burlesque Beauties, the idea and concept that I built there. I mean, the girls continued to perform for a few years after I left, but I took that whole idea concept, moved it into Nouveau Burlesque Dance, which again was, there's no nudity or anything. It was very much like what you see Beyonce and Partition do essentially, minus the G string. Mm-hmm. And, um, and, then, uh, and then it moved into Army of Sass in 2010. Let's come back to that transition because that was another important pivot point for you in 2010 when you launched Army of Sass. But if we, you know, go back to that, that story is so beautiful of, of the woman, right? in the chant, the psychologist and me, yes. right? Would call it a positive reframe. So we take our, yes. we take our cognition and we reframe it, right? And, mm-hmm. and if we think of, you know, oh my goodness, confidence, right? What a, what a complicated construct it is. And we think so many things that feed into confidence. And I guess if I were to ask you to define confidence, right? What, what does confidence mean to you? What contributes? What are all the different ways that we can cultivate that sense of confidence, um, especially as women? Cultivating confidence. I mean, at the end of the day, I think it's believing in yourself. I think it's loving yourself exactly as you are and who you are and celebrating it. Because no matter who you are, where you come from, you are good enough, you are smart enough, you are beautiful enough, you're more than enough, you're great, you're fantastic. And I do truly believe that the more that we can accept ourselves and meet ourselves where we're at, not only accept, but really celebrate where we're at, If we're looking to go somewhere else, the ride's just gonna be a lot lighter. There's a beautiful quote that I came across of yours where you said, as a result of being more confident, we are better able to take hold of what is already ours within ourselves absolutely yeah we already own it we already have it so it's just a matter of engaging it so i think movement is a really great and beautiful way to do it and it doesn't necessarily need to be a fitness class or maybe it is a fitness class there was a period of time where i was really into weightlifting because it was like it was just so different for me and it was challenging and, but it brought me back into my, my own body and into my own confidence through something I'd never explored before. So whether it's movement in heels dancing or it's weightlifting or it's yoga or it's walking or running, uh, movement is therapy. I think it helps us remember who we are through our own bodies. It helps us stay connected. And so I think whatever movement looks like for us, 
in whatever way, um, I think it's, it's one of the best things we can do for ourselves. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah. And, and, you know, we think of that sense of being, you know, solid in ourselves, present in our body, right? Mindful and aware of being alive and growing. You think all of these kind of feedback loops that we get through our body. And and we often, you know, certainly as a kind of psychologist in our psychologist world, we're often very focused on the cognitive pieces, right? The reframes, the stories we tell ourselves, um, the assumptions we may have or not have. Um, And one of the things we know, if we look at CBT, cognitive behavioral therapy, one of the most evidence-based treatments is we'll say, well, you know, our thoughts are one piece of that, but behaviorally, when we can engage in actions that are the opposite of those faulty thoughts that we have, is that that is also a very important way that we can revise those thoughts. And I think as you're speaking, I'm really thinking, you know, there's this element that you, if you have a feeling I'm not good enough or I'm not lovable or I'm not attractive or, you know, whatever all those kind of faulty thoughts are that we all have, right, at some points in our lives, that to be able to be taught, coached, mentored, celebrated to move in a way that says, ah, I have this behavioral experiment that's telling me this is not true. Mm -hmm. Exactly. And just sometimes accepting I am, you don't even need to say anything else. That's powerful just in itself, just to say, just to repeat to yourself, I am. Yeah. We're so busy being and doing, aren't we, of Mm -hmm. do, 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 and find all these other ways to define ourselves. In 2010, um, you were making a move to Toronto Mm -hmm. and were in a car accident. um, And that led to another pivot in your business and uh, the way that evolved. So share more about that. Yeah, you know, in in 2010, literally the day before I like technically moved my life to Toronto, I was in a car accident. And I mean, luckily, like I flew the next day, it was fine, but it was all muscle, deep tissue related in my ribs. And it was just uh, with the movement, the body of movement that I was doing at the time, it just completely took me took me out for a, a while. And I just I'd been battling a lot of injuries just my whole life as a professional dancer and getting close to 30. I just thought, you know, at at what point do I just kind of say enough's enough? Maybe it's time to hang up the shoes in, in that sense. And so I had a manager at the time and, and I had, you know, bookings and things to do to, to be dancing and performing more. And I was like, you know what, I have to press a full stop. And, um, so there I had just moved to Toronto, had to say no to majority of the contracts that I had set up. And so I'm in tears calling my mom. And, you know, at the time I was teaching, I was still teaching because I had an assistant, which was great. And um, so my assistant luckily helped me through that process physically by showcasing the movements. But what I did is I just... I had to, yeah, like I said, full stop. And I I was still teaching the classes. I was producing my first cabaret show. And so my mom said, well, you're teaching your classes and you're producing your first cabaret show. Why don't you extend your classes and do a uh, progressive course and then have your members and your students perform in your show? And then they can, you know, help bring people and you get a longer class, you get people signed up for a certain period of time. And I thought, yeah. And immediately, like literally the tear, the one or two tears I had on my cheeks dried up in two seconds. I was Mm. like, yes, I'm going to do that. Thanks, mom. I got to go. I got some calls to make. (laughs) So off to the races. Um, I started my first, you know, training and performance program through, uh, it was, I mean, originally it was called Nouveau Burlesque Performance and Training Group, but good Lord, that's too long. So, um, (laughs) you know, I was, I had my classes at, at the National Ballet School. We rented a studio out of there. It's this beautiful space on Jarvis Street in downtown Toronto. And I'm just standing there watching the girls strut. And I look at my, my assistant. I looked, I was like, wow, this looks like an army of sass. And I was like, oh my gosh, that's the name. 
that's the name. And sometimes when you're just in the moment of appreciation, that's when I think a lot of ideas and concepts and things can come to you when you're in a place of appreciation and gratitude and just joy. And, and that's when, you know, you're in the zone, you know? And I was like, yeah, that's it. So, I mean, I started out with, I think nine women in my program and then army of SAS went all the way up to like 30. Oh gosh. I think at one point we had 31 or 32 locations across Canada and a few in the States. So um, I eventually went from me just running this program to licensing it to other dance teachers and dance professional enthusiasts that wanted to run their own business. People saw what I was doing and it was very new and cutting edge at the time and people wanted to do it. So they wanted to learn how to do it. And everyone's like, you should franchise. And I was, I looked at what franchising was and I was like, dancers are broke. We (laughs) We do not have franchise money. So I just really thought of like, you know, the 25 or 26 year old version of myself. I was like, No, it needs to be, also you can't franchise creativity either. So there needed to be wiggle room. So if anyone ever looked at Army of Sess, it looked it looks very much like a franchise, but it's it's not legally, it very much is is, uh, a licensing platform where essentially we provide them all the education and the syllabus training and the shows, but essentially they can fill their classes and their creative portion and choreography as they wish. So and you're providing the structure and that essentially allows 30 plus people to create their own mini businesses. Correct. Yes. Yeah. 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 And uh, it's coming to an end at the end of 2020. Well, then then the next 10 year pivot, what do they say? Our life in seven to 10 years uh, goes through different cycles, right? So of course, then, mm-hmm. I mean, my goodness, 2020 and the pandemic plus, right? And I like to say plus because COVID yeah. just kicked off the year and we've had massive other impacts. Um How has your business been impacted and what changes now have you been driven to make since the pandemic hit? Yeah, I mean, any form of studio, whether it's a fitness or dance or um, martial arts, that industry has been savaged completely. Um, it's it's in the process of dismantling, essentially, and it's it's very hard to watch and see. Um, I do believe that dance will always continue and studios will continue. I mean, it's a very challenging time. Now, Army of SAS has never been a physical studio, but at the end of the day, it was, you know, very challenging because, I mean, luckily I had already had an online platform through through like the headquarters portion of it. Um, So we moved... 20 some odd 20 I think we had 28 at the time locations online within two weeks um so I am very happy and very proud of how we stepped in uh, to assist our locations during a time of a lot of confusion and um you know grief and pain because it also happened right during um our shows so obviously shows have been um canceled until further notice and um, studios are coming in and uh, you know studio life is coming in and out of reality across the world essentially so it was very challenging but you know I really dug into everything that I knew that I could offer and you know what Jody? sometimes you need to dig to the trenches to know that there is nothing left And that's where I knew I was done because I really looked at like, what else do I have to offer these licensees through this particular body of work, which I've been working on my whole life, you know, 20 plus years. And I just thought, I think there's, there's, I'm done digging this particular diamond mind. The diamonds are dried up. And there was a period of time where this kind of, um, structure was really needed for the dance industry and it was something that I developed and created and passed I I took the knowledge that I had and created you know a, a, a system to learn from and then and then make money from it and they did it I did it they did it and I really looked and I was like 
they have everything that they need. They don't need me anymore. And I knew that I, for a while, Jody, to be honest, I've been ready to step into something else. And I think a part of resilience is learning and knowing, really doing the work to know when you are done that, that body of work. Because I do believe that in our life and in relationships and whatever it may be, that, you know, we ha- it's almost like life is like a portfolio. And could you imagine, Jody, that you, you just stayed on the exact same work that you did 20 years ago now? you would likely be very unsatisfied. You use the word grief, Carla, right? Mm-hmm. And and uh, a, a word that we've heard a lot actually is we've moved through the pandemic and, and grief reactions when we're, you know, we can think about decisions we make, businesses we close, uh, strategies we abort um, in our companies. And, mm-hmm. and it sounds like, I mean, there were two things for you. There was one, this kind of sense of knowing, right? Uh, kind of knowing that, this was kind of it for you. My guess is that probably preceded this year. So I want to hear a little bit about that. But then talk also about the hard part, right? Because we can we can know something is the it's the right time to end, whether it's a relationship or a career or a business, but that doesn't come without its kind of emotional liabilities, does it? No, yeah, exactly. I mean, there were some dark nights of the soul, I'm not gonna lie. Nights that I was literally on my knees and in tears. And just at the thought of a few things. One, mourning what I thought this could be or what I, or, or how far I thought I was willing to go. And I wasn't. And it wasn't that I was giving up, but that I was letting go. And it's almost like that moment where, you know, you you know that empty nester moment where you're like the child's going to university mm. and it's inevitable at some point and it just came sooner than what i was kind of anticipating or necessarily ready for and i could have gone a few different r- roads and and i really looked at every option and this is the one that just felt the truest for me but getting to that process it's gnarly. <laughs> it's, yeah, it's gnarly. I don't know how else to explain it. Cause it's almost like you, f- you, you fight your ego every step of the way before you get to that place of, of surrendering to what you know is real mm. and what you know is right. Yeah. Our ego, right. Comes, mm. it does come in, right. That and there's all different kinds of ways that we we all have an ego, right? And I think sometimes people mm-hmm. think, oh, there's this negative association. I'll say, of course not. We know that actually an ego is a very good thing. And that sense of kind of pride that we have, conviction we can have in things, mm-hmm. that sense of feeling like we're failing or letting some imaginary person, you know, down in some kind of way. And it's mostly those kind of stories we tell in our head, isn't it, Carla? And, you know, as you're on yeah. kind of, your knees in tears, right? Um, mm-hmm. What were the biggest, what were the hardest things for you to let go of and conversely accept, right? When you thought those nights where you were wrestling with trying to figure out what to do with really your your first baby. And of course you have a beautiful, yeah. real baby, Ava. Um, yeah. That really was, your business was your first baby. It, it was, it was. And I would say the hardest part for me to come to terms with, or just kind of that dark night of the soul was the idea of letting anyone down. Mm. And because a lot of, you know, a lot of people are very emotionally invested in the army of SAS community. Every time I would do workshops or classes, people would often come to me in, in tears, in gratitude, and just say, this has changed my life. And they would, they would tell me stories of, you know, I was getting out of, uh, and this helped me get out of an emotional and abusive relationship. 
I've always had poor self-image um, to myself. And now I can look at myself and love that the fact that I'm size, whatever it is. And, um, you know, or that, oh, wow, this community, like a positive female community, because there's a lot of women actually that have had very traumatic and very difficult relationships with women, other women. So um, this community has helped kind of open a lot of people's doors to healing that. Mm -hmm. And because it is such a supportive and loving community, because literally I, I, part of my teachings is like no good dancer left behind. Like, yo, somebody come in and they're willing to do it and they want to come and dance. Like we root for them. They make a mistake and fall over. We're like, it's all good. Like, don't worry. Like just keep going, you know? And so, yeah, like, I think just the idea of, of having to almost like taking that away from someone I think that was the hardest part, but it's one of those things that I knew that, you know, I, Army of SAS is a name. And so that's why I think passing on the syllabus, the shows, the, you know, keep, you know, for all the licensees, keep all your social media handles, change them over, like keep everything you've worked so hard to build, keep your communities, keep going. And so really giving, right? That became your way of kind of giving and letting the legacy continue. And, and I can imagine, right, that that loss of letting people down. And, and uh, one of the things which you probably don't know because I've never shared it with you directly. Of course, I took classes of yours in 2010 and a number of classes at that at Excel Studio. And um, you were a very important part of my personal journey of resilience. And and through movement and dance and you know I've got two left feet and I'm not the most coordinated person in the universe um credit I don't know but I was you. um yeah going through you know a very difficult time at that point in my life leaving a marriage leaving a very complicated marriage with very little support around questioning every part of myself right being scared and insecure and mm -hmm. you know not feeling you know feeling less than in every which way and and there really is this confidence that we can cultivate um and get really important feedback on as you said other women right that that feeling of I mean I think sometimes we're more critical with each other than than anybody else is right about how we look and feel and and I think one of the things that I've so appreciated about just the whole kind of you know, philosophy, even social media presence of your company is you so celebrate women of so many different shapes and sizes and the beauty in all of the varied, um, you know, kind of manifestations that our bodies come in. And so, yeah, thank you for that, Carla. You're welcome. You're welcome. It's been, you know, such a a pleasure to see the transformations, the transformations and those, those aha moments of like those moments where people kind of grasp and yank their power back into themselves. I've seen it so many times. I can't even tell you, and it never gets old. It is the, 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 the center point. It is the pride and joy of the work I've done with, within this movement, the idea and concept of self-love, self-acceptance, community, you know, celebrating the feminine, no matter what age you are, what gender you are, that you identify with, no matter who you are, if you're willing to own it and love it, you're always welcome. And it's so great to see that continue across Canada and the U.S. through all these different locations with their own work. And, and uh, I think that it's a full circle moment. You know, it really is. It's a full circle moment. And I, um, I'm grateful that I stuck it out and, and I mean, stuck it out seems a bit, you know, 1950s housewife, but <laughs> I'm really glad that I continued to adapt and I continued 
to find resilience in facing the challenges. And, and I'm just so grateful that I did my best every step of the way and that, that I'm here today. Yeah. And if we think of that, I mean, that adaptation piece is, is so, so critical when we think about resilience, right? Adapting mm-hmm. to adversity. Um, and, and what we know is we can not only survive adversity, but thrive in the face of adversity and, and evolve through that. And so, you know, as you now look toward your next step, what are you most excited about? I'm excited to continue to build community. I mean, I've been doing that for the last 20 years and I'm not going to finish here. Am I done with, you know, the dance and the feminine movement side of things? Yes, I I think so. I mean, never say never, but um, where I'm really concentrated on is, yeah, building community, um, continuing to look at the gaps of where things are missing and, Jody, I'm going from CEO and I am going to MEO. So <laughs> the process of not only myself going from that CEO mentality, I mean, girl, this is a convo for another day, but it's, you know, between having my, my, essentially I had my daughter, my business exploded at the same time yeah. and I'm exhausted I'm tired and I need to reconnect with myself and I want to help other people do that too. And I think a lot of people are feeling discombobulated in lack of better word, you know, um, we're just feeling a little off center and I'm, I'm looking to not looking, I'm in the process of developing, um, a coaching program for people to learn, to find that center again, essentially, begin to Marie Kondo our life. Let's look at the closet. What's the closet mm-hmm. of our lives? It's, it's time to clean up because there's a lot of stuff that's been thrown at us over the last year. And I think it's a good time to take a look at that closet and look at what we want to keep, what we want to throw out. And with that open space, what do we choose to fill it with? Mm-hmm. And difficult work, isn't it, at times, but so so rewarding when we create that space and i and i so agree we've got we have this forced pause now don't we in life mm-hmm. that is holding up all kinds of things to us right mirrors mm-hmm. and other things for us to um really take the opportunity i think is in to not take the opportunities and injustice isn't it to uh, connecting with the things that we really want in our lives in different stages and seasons we evolve right and and now you're a wife and a mom and you have a beautiful little girl and mm-hmm. i love i love 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 when you said from ceo to to meo because it sounds like it's it's starting for you an important um drive is also to find some space for yourself. What's your biggest piece of advice to anyone that's finding themselves in a situation that's confusing, right? We we know the devil we know is sometimes much more comfortable than the devil we don't. And whether mm-hmm. it's a relationship or a job or our business or a friendship or even a complicated relationship with a family member, mm-hmm. um, so much easier. We're creatures of habit, right? And so much easier for us to stay with what's familiar. And so what is your strongest piece of advice to someone that's wrestling with some decision? I would say take some space and time. If you don't know what to do, do not make any moves. Sometimes just having a moment, not saying anything or not doing, and it's not about freezing, you know, that freeze or flight kind of thing. It's not about that. It's like really just consciously taking a moment of open space and and just internally reflecting within i think it's important to to ask yourself there's many questions you can ask yourself in that perspective but i think just most importantly really discover what's important to you and it whatever's not it's time to let it go
Yeah, and we often intuitively know, don't we? We always know intuitively. Yeah, yeah quieting everything around us. I, I saw something recently on, uh, you know, all the, the memes on social media and, and it said right now, of course, if we can't go outwards, go inwards. you have a beautiful little girl and if we fast forward in 20 years from now she is listening to your words what do you have to say to her and what is your wish for her when it comes to confidence oh my wish for her is to just live and be exactly who you are from the inside out and that you are loved unconditionally and and you are safe and you're loved and you're always protected. Go, be free. No one's going to stop my baby girl. <laughs> I don't know. That's like the stage mom in me. It just came out, but. <laughs> Protective mama bears got to come out. Right. <laughs> well, Carla, it's such a pleasure to have this conversation with you. Um, thank you so much. And I know there's thousands thousands of people that you have taught and coached and mentored over the years that have been impacted by you and and I'm looking forward to seeing where your journey continues to take you through 2021 and beyond. Thank you. Thank you, Jody, and thank you for having me as a guest and to anyone listening um repeat after me. Me first. Me first. Thank you, Carla. Um, and thank you so much to everyone for turning into Tardigrade Talks. If you've enjoyed our conversation, we would love for you to subscribe and consider sharing with a friend. We have a breadth of free resources designed to help you enhance your psychological health and wellness on our website, tardigradetalks.com. Thank you, and I hope you join us at the next episode in wishing you psychological health, wellness and resilience until next time.